0: I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 39. Psalm 39, it's a psalm of David. It's, um, I, you know, I love the psalms. I love reading through them. I am preaching through the entirety of the Psalter at uh, Orland Park CRC, where I'm the lead pastor. I, I uh, say... I guess not really jokingly that we're in the midst of about a 16 or 17 year series on the Psalms. We're just taking them every summer. Every summer we get through about 8 to 10 of them. We've worked our way through 40. Our intern Kaylee Mazes is preaching Psalm 40 at Orland Park CRC this morning. And so I love spending time in the Psalms. I love reading through them. And I, but sometimes I have this incredible experience when I pause and zero in on one Psalm in particular where I'm like, I don't remember ever hearing that before. It's like, God, did you just put that in the Bible right now? I mean, I've read through the Psalms before, but how did I not notice that before right now? That was sort of the experience that I had with Psalm 39. It was a Psalm that I guess, as I've read through the Psalms before, you just kind of move past. But I was really struck by it because in it, there's a prayer, a prayer that's offered up by David when he is angry. And I think that it's a remarkable prayer. I I don't know if you've ever prayed while angry before. I remember the most intense time... My roommate in seminary kept asking me to clean the bathroom, and I remember going to, to, uh, to bed one night. I was so angry. I was like, God, help Brandon to stop being such a jerk. And, uh, and then I realized, oh, that's not a very good prayer. I, better, uh, I better, better pray something else. And so I was like, God, help me to have the right attitude. And immediately I felt this conviction, like, it's your turn to clean the bathroom, man. You better go do that. So I cleaned the bathroom. Anyway, that's an angry prayer. I don't know if you've ever offered an angry prayer. David is angry in the midst of this psalm, and I think that that's part of what makes this psalm so remarkable, is the kind of prayer that he offers when he's angry. So take a look with me at Psalm 39. Psalm 39, uh, here's how my Bible reads I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue, I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused. The fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know the end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. For it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I'm spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what's dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest, like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, as we consider these words, we pray that you would help them to come alive for us. We pray that we would see your beauty here in Psalm 39. We pray that we would give you great honor and praise because you alone are good. We pray that if anything that I say doesn't come from you, that you'd make it fall to the ground and pass away and be forgotten. We pray that everything that is from You would remain and strengthen our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that You would enrich us by Your Spirit today as we feast on Your Word. Make us to love Your Word, to love Psalm 39. Help us to see the wisdom in it and embrace it. Grow us because of it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name amen. So in a little bit, I want to share with you one of my favorite memes. It's something that I come across, uh, and I love it because uh, I I find, I don't know about you, when I get online, I can get real angry, and I need need this sort of reminder. So I'm just going to ask that you bring up that picture. This is one of my favorites. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this meme before, I love it because Dennis Rodman here is personified as my responses to people on social media. Michael Jordan as the Holy Spirit pulling Rodman back from a certain technical foul. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Dennis Rodman, but he was prodigious at getting technical fouls. When I saw this posted the first time, my favorite comment is somebody's like, you know, I've always thought the Holy Spirit looked a lot like Michael Jordan. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, this is always important to me, after I, uh, you know, last week I got sent uh, another meme, it's of a frog about to say something, an iguana shutting its mouth like this, and the iguana says the Holy Spirit, and the frog says my response to people on social media. The reason for all of this is that if you're anything like me, you read some of the foolishness, some of the wickedness that takes place online, and you, and you just have your blood boil, if you see some of the cruelty that sometimes characterizes Christians, even Christian leaders online, you could take that picture down now. I mean, it's it's so good, but I, th- you know, we've got to focus on the text now. If you see some of the cruelty of Christian leaders, you can be ready to launch, launch an attack on the people that you are reading. You can start signing in to Facebook or Instagram and you just think, you know what, I'm just going to take a look at cute photos of my friends and their kids. It's all I'm going to do. That's going to be everything that takes place today. I'm just going to scroll through and see what some of the... The people that I follow are up to, I'm just going to try to get some wisdom or catch up on where people are in life. But pretty quickly, the algorithms that are created to try to suck you in by feeding your rage and trying to get you to interact online will show you something that is just terribly foolish, sometimes foolishly wicked, and you're like, well, that's just horrible. And then you realize, oh, there's some comments on this. Maybe somebody's cleared this all up in the comments, so I'm just going to click on the comments and scroll through those. And then you find that the comments are even worse. And you're like, somebody's got to say something. I am angry. I'm terribly angry. I, I remember one time there was a woman in my congregation that I serve at Orland Park CRC, and she had posted something online, and a, a, a rather infamous megachurch pastor from Los Angeles had just gone after her with an incredible amount of cruelty online. I posted about 10 comments, you know, wrote about 10 comments that were super mean to this man. And the Holy Spirit sort of dragged me back like Michael Jordan dragged back Dennis Rodman each time. But my blood was boiling, as I saw this wickedness and foolishness. And sometimes you go on, and you're like, "I'm sure I'm just going to keep my mouth shut today." And we need the Holy Spirit to restrain us from our worst impulses. We call them our Dennis Rodman impulses. And the reason that we need uh, that we need the Holy Spirit to pull us back is that very infrequently do we get hot with anger and act in holiness. It's part of why rage is considered one of the deadly sins because anger often clouds the mind. There's even a phrase for that, blinded with rage. When you get real angry, oftentimes, sometimes your vision even starts to blur. You can't think straight or see straight. You're so filled with rage. This is part of why Psalm 39 is so extraordinary. It's such an extraordinary psalm because David starts out saying, all right, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut when I see all these wicked folks. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to see what the wicked and the foolish are doing, and I'm just going to hold my peace. And then the same thing that happens to me and probably you when you're online happens to David. He says, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused. The fire burned. Finally, David can't take it anymore. And he's like, somebody's got to say something. He opens his mouth. And and at that point in the psalm, you're probably like, oh my goodness, David is the man who slayed tens of thousands. That's what the people would say. I I wonder what he's going to say. I mean, he's really going to give it to these foolish, wicked people. I better pop some popcorn as I finish this psalm because David is going to go off. And then the extraordinary psalm. Because, my goodness, what does David say? Instead of giving the wicked a piece of his mind, he prays. And he prays that God would do three things. He prays that God would remind him, first, how fleeting he is. He prays, second, that, he would, that God would redeem David from sin. And he prays, last, that God would hear David And God would speak. And so let's just work through those three prayers that David uh, offers or, or the three aspects of this prayer that David offers here. First, the first part of the prayer is that God would remind him how fleeting he is. So as David is burning with anger and as he can't hold his tongue, the first thing he says is, Lord, let me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. And then he goes on to talk about how short his life is. He says that his life is just a few hand lengths. You know, if you were to line up your hand just a few times, that's the length of your life. He says it's like nothing in comparison to the eternal God. He says it's like a breath. And he uses that Hebrew word for breath, the word is hevel. He uses that word three times in verses 5 and 6 and 11. That word, that word for breath, is what is used over and over and over again all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes to speak about how brief our life is. The book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, shares the nature of life. It's like breath. And trying to find meaning in life is like trying to, to catch your own breath in your hands if you're trying to find meaning apart from God. And it seems as though Solomon came to this metaphor for life as a breath very naturally. He came to it from his own dad. He came to it from David because David uses it three times. And it's a helpful illustration of how quick life is, isn't it? There's one poet who picks up on this, a guy named Samuel Beckett. His most famous famous play is called Waiting for Godot, but one that's actually been performed more times is a play called Breath. I've mentioned it before to you. It's in it. He just says that life is like one pained inhalation and one pained exhalation, and then it's all over. The play's about like 39 seconds, something like that. It's just one breath in and one breath out, and the whole play is meant to illustrate how brief life is. Life is like a breath. Life is so short. This is. A helpful word for another reason. Not only is it a really good analogy or illustration for how quick life is, but it also is a reminder of how foolish it is to try to build something lasting if your hope is for this life alone. Now, Orland Park CRC, we got tons of builders. They could tell you that if you want to build something that remains, you need to build it on a strong, on a solid foundation. It would be very foolish to try to build something on a sifting or a shifting foundation. It would be even more foolish if you decided that you wanted to build a house on your breath. You couldn't do it. that would be a horrible foundation. You can't build something solid or lasting on breath. Now, all of this isn't to say that life is worthless or meaningless. It is to say that you cannot, you absolutely cannot find any lasting meaning if your hope is in this life alone. If your hope is in this life alone. If you have no hope for redemption, then you have no reason for hope in general. And I tell you this, Everyone who's here, everyone who's watching, I tell you this not to try to depress you, but to encourage you to run to the source of everlasting hope, to encourage you to run to Jesus, who alone can give a resurrection, eternal hope. Run to Jesus. Because this life is like a breath. Don't try to build anything lasting on your breath. Build it on the strong, solid, enduring never dying foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in the psalm, David is telling us that we need a reminder of how brief life is. It's over in an instant, and yet we have the sense that it's so long or important or enduring. David says, remind me how fleeting my life is. Why? Because when we have a sense of our own mortality, it tends to clarify things for us. I was talking with a Marine at Orland Park Christian Reformed Church a couple of weeks ago, and he uh, did four tours of duty in Iraq, one tour of duty in Afghanistan. And one of the things that he said to me was, war has a way of clarifying what's actually important. He was talking about how he went to Iraq, and he he was on his uh, second tour of duty. He was dating a, a young woman that he had been high school sweethearts with, and he said, as I started getting shot at, as bullets were whizzing past my head, I realized, I'm not in love with her. I'm in love with Mary. He said, Being confronted with your death has a way of clarifying what's important. And so he ended things with Abby and proposed to Mary, and she and he are members of the church. They have a wonderful family. They got married three months after he came back from Iraq. And he said, I didn't want to mess around. I realized how brief life was. I stared it in the face, and I realized what was important. And David says, help me to know how fleeting my life is. Considering how fleeting your life is has a way of clarifying priorities. Very rarely have I sat with someone who is approaching death, who was worried about getting in another overtime shift, or meeting a publication deadline. What happens is that people look back on their life and they realize the ways that they would have lived differently had they realized how brief their life is. And we have the opportunity to consider how brief our life is today, how it's like a breath. Life's going to be over soon, so live well. You'll never regret the times that you spend in prayer or in the study of scripture. You won't regret working hard, but you will probably regret overworking. You won't regret delighting in family, being present and active in church. You won't regret righteousness. You will regret sin. In the face of evil, David prays that God might remind him how brief his life is and live wisely because of it. That is part of why this is an extraordinary prayer. He gets hot with angry anger and he's like, God, help me to know how brief my life is so that I can clarify my priorities and live rightly so that I can live well. It's a beautiful prayer when you get really upset with other people and you're like, God, I'm the issue. Help me to have the right perspective. That's a beautiful prayer. But that's not all he prays for. Not only wisdom does he pray for, but he also prays for redemption. And that's the second part of his prayer, that God would redeem him from sin. There's a reason, you see, that our lives are so brief. We weren't created for such a brief life. We were created to live forever. But we sinned. And now we die. And, and Psalm 39, this isn't going to surprise anybody. Psalm 39 comes right after Psalm 38. You all knew that already. That's not, you know, it's not why you go to seminary to find out counting. But it's helpful to know the context here that Psalm 38 is a psalm where David is talking about his own sinfulness. And he talks about how heavy the hand of the Lord is on him when he is stuck in his own sin. He talks about how difficult life is when he is caught in his own sin. And in Psalm 39, David starts to reflect some of those themes of Psalm 38. He talks about the heaviness of God resting on him. About how sin grinds him down and bows him low. And as you look at how brief your life is, you'll need to recognize the most important thing that you can possibly do with your life. Let me tell you what's of central importance here. To know God. There's nothing that is more important in your whole life than to know God. And to know Him in Christ Jesus. To know Christ Jesus in the power of His death and resurrection. To know that... For all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, for all who are joined to him in faith, your sins are forgiven, and you've been covered with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is the most important thing for you to know about in your whole life. And David says, All right, I see all these angry, foolish, wicked people. God, help me to know how brief my life is so that I can understand this rightly and redeem me from my sin because I know that my biggest problem is not all of this wicked foolishness I see out there, but all the wicked foolishness that exists in here. And so God, please redeem me, heal me. And every time that you cry out to God for for healing, for salvation, for forgiveness of sin, he grants that forgiveness. He gives it to you. He cleanses and heals you from all of your sin. He forgives you entirely and totally. He went to the cross for you. And this is why David cries out, God, God, remind me of how short my life is and then, and then also please redeem me, God. I hope that that's your prayer today. I hope that if you're with us and that you haven't been trusting in Jesus, you haven't been following him, if you're, walk, if you're worshiping with us online today, I hope that, you hear these words that you might realize the most important thing in the whole world is to trust Jesus and know him and follow after him. It's the most important thing. I pray that your prayer would be the same as David, that God would redeem you from sin. And then David concludes his prayer by asking that God would hear and speak. David started by holding shut his mouth. And he asks at the end of the prayer here, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Here's the last part of his prayer. He asks that that as he tried to hold his mouth at the beginning of the psalm, he asks that God would not do the same thing, that God would speak a word. He asks that God would not Would not interact with with his world, saying, "All right, I'm going to hold my tongue here. I'm going to keep my peace." He's saying, "God, when I when I lift my voice in anger, I realize I'm just so often wrong. So help me to know how brief my life is. Heal me from my sin, and please, please, would you be the one to speak? Please, would you no longer be silent when you hear all of my tears? How often do you wish for that, for God to speak?" I mean, I I do all the time. You know, it feels to me, and maybe to you, I'm guessing to you, it feels to me that in our world things are just breaking up. They're coming apart. It feels to me like there's this, like, spiral downward. And again, when I interact with Christian leaders online, when I participate in online forums of pastors, sometimes I can despair because I'm like, where is... Where's godliness? Where's holiness? Somebody needs to say something, and so I cry out to God, God, would, would, you, just, would you speak a word? I don't know if that's ever been your prayer, but, but if it is, I just want to remind all of us that God has spoken a word John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God has already spoken. We, were, we cry out for a word and, and we need to realize that God has spoken a word. That word was the word made flesh. Christ Jesus. And the answer to all of our problems, the answer to all of the wickedness that is out there, and the answer to all of the wickedness that's in here is the same word, the word of Christ Jesus. The thing that I need more than anything else is that word is Jesus. The thing that the world needs more than anything else is that word, the word that is Christ Jesus. The word that we must realize has been spoken is the word made flesh, Christ Jesus, who went to the cross for you and rose from the dead for you. The Word became flesh, and that's enough. And so the next time that you sign into Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be, and your blood starts to boil and your anger rises, and you realize that somebody's got to say something, maybe the opportunity has come to you to open your mouth in prayer and ask that God would remind you how brief your life is so that you might live well. That God would remind you of your need for redemption and cry out to Him that you would be forgiven. And that you would pray that that God would speak and realize that He has in Christ Jesus. And that that's enough. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We rejoice that you have spoken a word, the word made flesh. Help us today in the face of foolishness and wickedness to realize our own, how brief we are, how brief our own life is. Help us to realize our need for redemption and salvation. Help us to cry out for those things in the midst of anger or frustration. We pray too that you would speak. We recognize that you have spoken in Christ Jesus and we recognize that that is enough. And we pray that Christ Jesus would convict powerfully by the Spirit so that the world might see its need for Him and turn to Him. And that we might see our perpetual need uh, we might recognize that nothing but the blood is sufficient for us and that we might rejoice in that redemption that's ours. We pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.